I'm in the midst of reinventing myself professionally, right? So I, um, uh, for the last several years, I have been a tech sourcing guy, and it's what I do. Like, I know the technology, I know how to buy it, I know how to negotiate with the vendors, I've got all that stuff dialed in, um, and then this this summer, Sony decided to sell the portion of the business I was working for, and the technology went one way, and I went another. And suddenly, I'm not buying technology. They're like, hey, you're a deal guy. Go build ad networks. I'm like, dude, I don't, I don't know how to build ad networks. Like, they're like, oh, you'll figure it out. I'm like, all right. And so I'm reinventing myself. And you know, it, it's funny like, to talk about reinventing yourself professionally. It's another thing to talk about reinventing yourself personally, right? I mean, it's easy, like, um, I, we've got a, a, a splash picture with some, with some, um, some people who have reinvented themselves. You've got um, people who, uh, in the pop culture, they reinvent themselves all the time, right? You have, uh, like, a lurid singer who reinvents herself, and now she's a, a maternal children's author, right? And that's what Madonna does, okay? Uh, you, you've got um, uh, people who have reinvented themselves. They went from being a politician to being a talk show host, and that's what Jerry Springer did, right? Um, you've got uh, guys who are action heroes and wrestlers like Arnold Schwarzenegger and, and Jesse the Body Ventura who reinvented themselves as governors, right? You go, wow, this is amazing. Angelina Jolie, Reinvented herself. She's a UN ambassador, right? I mean, you just look at it, you go, man, I wish it was so easy. They have this, this machine, this PR machine that is like helping them reinvent themselves. But like, I wish there was a way for me to feel like I've been reinvented, that I've been recreated, that I, I've been reshaped. And I think all of us, like there's certain things we go, man, I sure would like to see this change, but the change doesn't come like really easily, right? We're going to be, in the next five weeks, we're going to be in the book of Ephesians. And the book of Ephesians is, um, it is all about God recreating us, God giving us a new identity. And it's, in Ephesians chapter four, it says, put on the new you, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And the book of Ephesians is how it is that we put on the new self, how we put on the, the new person that we're supposed to be, how we're to live a reinvented life. And so um, this, this book, it's not just about what we do, right? It goes all the way down to who we are. And so it, it ad addresses that. Um, Several years ago now, uh, we were living in Orange County. J Jason and Joel were training at a karate uh, uh, dojo. And while they were there, the boys actually got to be pretty good. I mean, they were seven or eight, six years old, I think, when they started doing karate. By the time they were like eight, they were winning local competitions. They were winning regional competitions. They were doing really well. So one day, one of their coaches came to him and said, hey, guys, um, I think that the two of you have what it takes to go to the national competition in Florida, and we want to invite you into a special training regimen where it prepares you for nationals. And they were both excited and like, that sounds good. And then he began to talk about it. And he's like, here's the mandatory times you have to be here. And one of the mandatory times you had to be there was Sunday morning. And I remember, <laughs> like, I remember watching Joel at eight years old smile and say, thank you so much for inviting us, um, but we can't participate in that because we go to church on Sunday. And the, the guy said, well, um, like, 
to skip church for a while, or maybe find a church that meets at a more convenient time. And Joel's response was, no, we're Christians. And, and going to church, gathering with the body of Christ, that's what we do. It's just who we are. And, and in that phrase, it's just what we do. It's just who we are. Like he captured the new you. It is not just what we do. It is who we are. And so as we look at Ephesians, we're going to be looking at the new you and the new you is driven, like what you do is driven by who you are, but who you are is driven by who God is, right? So, so we start with our theology and then we move to our identity and then we move to our activity, right? That's, that's kind of how it goes. So we, we sang, it's our breath, it's his breath in our, in our lungs, right? God is the creator, and God created us to worship him. So he created us in his image and he, cre he breathed into us the breath of life. And because he is our creator and we are created beings, created for his glory, then we are worshipers. It, who he is directly defines who we are. Because God is our father and he has identified himself as our father. And we'll be reading in Ephesians chapter one that he has adopted us as his children. Because he is our father and we are children, then it means that we're all family together. Like that's who we are. God, God has made, presented himself as father. He has made himself to be the head of this family. And so our identity as family is driven by our theology of God being father. Jesus is king. And because Jesus is king, we are servants. The Holy Spirit was given that mission might go forward. And so we are missionaries and the Holy Spirit teaches us all things. And so we are learners. So our theology defines who we are and then it defines our activity. And so when we talk about our activity and we'll be talking more and more about this over the next several weeks, Kirby and I have been meeting together and saying, all right, what, what is the next step of our church, right? How does, how does our church grow? What, what, what are we becoming? Because we, we were for a long time, kind of like a, a, a small group that just happened to meet on Sundays, right? And now we're, we're becoming something more. And now we're like, oh, now we need small groups. We, we need people connected outside of our, our Sunday gathering. Um, and it just to care for each other, right? Uh, think about all the things that have happened recently where we just need to care for each other. We got Steve falls and breaks his pelvis, right? Or his, yeah, uh, um, uh, Steve Krampak. And like, here's a guy who needs some help, right? Uh, Lisa, a couple weeks ago, was in the hospital. She needed people to come around her and love her. And like, like there's, there's, we just need to be caring for each other. We need to be a family. But our activity, the thing, those, those activities come out of who God is and who we are. And so when we say that our activity is to call people to believe in Christ and belong to his body and be trained in truth and be strong in a life of worship and ministry, that activity all comes out of who he is. And it's all relational. We call people to believe in Christ because they are going to have a relationship with Jesus that redeems their soul, right? We call people to belong to the body because they will be in relationship with, the, with a family of people who are caring for them. We, we call people to be um, trained in truth. They, they are entering into a relationship with the Holy Spirit, where the Spirit teaches them through his word and through his people. We, we say, be strong in a life of worship and ministry. Be like, what does that look like? It's a relationship where we come before God every Sunday and we worship corporately to encourage us in the worship that we do all week. Every Sunday we end and I say, have a great week of worship. Why? Because this is not 
where worship ends. This is just where worship begins. And worship is all of life. And, and we, we have a relationship with others outside the faith. And so we're strong in a life of, of ministry. And so all of those things are redeeming relationships that we are, we are participating in. And that activity is driven by our identity. And our identity is driven by our theology, right? That's, that's how that whole thing works. Well, in Ephesians, Paul does what he does in pretty much all the gospels. In, in each of the gospels, he begins, and probably the first two chapters or sometimes three is all what I'm going to call indicatives. Like this is indicative of you. This is who you are. This is who God is. This is who you are in light of him. And then the back end of the book are the imperatives where legalism and moralism and moral formation like sneak into the church is when people teach the imperatives divorced from the indicatives. When, when you have the indicative first and it's like, because God is this and because you are this, now just live from that. It makes perfect sense because you go, oh yeah, it, like God is this, I am this. So naturally I'm going to do this. An imperative is not this onerous thing like, oh, I've got to like work up something. No, it's like, that's who you are because you're in God. Like you are in Christ and he is in you. And because of that, that's the natural outflow of, of what it looks like for you to be in Christ. And so um, when, when we get into Ephesians chapter one, it's almost entirely indicatives, preparing for the imperatives. And I thought about how to preach Ephesians and like how to spend, and, and we could spend three or four, five weeks just going through the indicatives and, and that would be great. It would be amazing. But then we would get to the imperatives on the back end and it would be probably pretty easy to forget about four or five weeks of my preaching. Um, and and you go, like, oh man, I feel like this is so heavy. I have all this to do. So what I'm going to do is I am going to try to take these indicatives and marry them to the imperatives, and we're going to preach the front and the back of the book at the same time, okay? So we'll see how it works. <laughs> so, um, so Ephesians chapter one, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus, you are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace and peace to you from God our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed, which literally it's, it's the word we get our word eulogy from, uh, eulogatus, um, which is uh, praise, praise be to God. And Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Christ Jesus, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood and forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he has lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he has set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So, it's, it's um, this passage really identifies who God is as father and who we are as children. 
And it does it giving us a series of indicatives. This is important. I think um, I, I've watched over, I don't know, the last number of years, um, as, as things have become more isolated and more fractured in our society, right? Um, when I was growing up, I grew up in a, a, a suburb of Philadelphia. And, and in the suburb of Philadelphia, you would get off the bus and kids would start dispersing to their houses. And by the, the time you got halfway down your block, they had already told people like, oh, guess what? Tim got in trouble today, um, right? And so everybody on the block knew you and you'd be doing the walk of shame nice and slow because you didn't want to tell mom and dad what was going on, right? And because as soon as you tell mom and dad, mom and dad had a two for one deal, right? Get in trouble at school, get in trouble at home. And I mean, it was like, and so I, I like, I'd be walking down the street and then I, these moms would be out on their porch. I heard what you did today, right? I mean, there was, there was this, it was like, man, there, we were a community of people. Most of us didn't have air conditioning. So we were outside in the summertime. Our windows were always open. We heard when people were fighting. Everybody knew what was going on. We were in each other's business. It was life, right? Man, we live in Newberry Park. Everything's air conditioned. People drive into their, into their garage. The door closes. You don't see them, right? Uh, it's, it's become fractured. And it's become more fractured and more polarized because of like political differences and Facebook and Instagram and people like just venting there because there's no real live person in front of them that they're saying these terrible things to, right? And, and so we are not experiencing community. We're not experiencing family. We're experiencing isolation. I was reading a, a Larry Crabb book. He's got a book called Connecting. And he says this, we were designed to connect with others. Connecting is life. Loneliness is the ultimate horror. In connecting with God, we gain life. In connecting with others, we nourish and experience that life. We freely share it. Rugged individualism, proud independence, chosen isolation violate the nature of our existence as much as trying to breathe underwater. John Orberg um, describes a, uh, a study, the, what, the Alameda County study, um, which is um, uh, headed by a Harvard social scientist that tracked 7,000 people over the course of nine years. And they found that the most isolated people were three times more likely to die than those with strong relational ties. People who had bad health habits, such as smoking, poor eating, alcohol abuse, obesity, but they had strong social ties, lived significantly longer than the people who had great health habits, but were isolated. In other words, he says, it's better to eat Twinkies with friends than broccoli alone. <laughs> and I subscribe to that. <laughs> um, so Harvard researcher uh, Robert Putnam notes that if you belong to, uh, to no groups but decide to join one, you cut your risk of dying this year in half. For another study, as reported in the Journal of American Medical Association, 276 volunteers were infected with a virus that produces the common cold. And the study found that people with strong emotional connections did four times better fighting illness than those who were isolated. These people were less susceptible to colds, less viruses. Um, uh, they produced significantly less mucus. You're like, that's disgusting. But you're, it's like, hey, isolated people really are snottier than everybody else, right? Um, so, um, okay. Um, so we, we are becoming increasingly disconnected from each other. The level of community in America is at its lowest point in our lifetime. And the social, uh, the loss of social capital results in lower education performance, more teen pregnancy, greater depression, and higher crime rates. Isolation is killing us, right? 
And we have a solution. And the, the, the solution is that we are part of the family of God. Like that's, that's who we are. That the father is forming us for his family. And, and we go, okay. And we kind of veer away from that. One of two, two reasons. One, we either go, I came out of a really dysfunctional family. Like I've had enough of family in my lifetime. I don't want any of that, right? Um, or we, we look at the family and we think, um, oh yeah, the family of God. And we treat it like, um, more like, less like we're family and more like we're coworkers. And we happen to have one meeting scheduled together one, you know, once a week and we see each other and we go, how things going for you and your projects? How things going for you and your projects? All right, well, good job team. See you next week, right? And that's not family. So when, when God reveals himself as father, this is what it says. It says that the father is the source of our grace and peace. Grace and peace to you from God the Father. Like, he is the source of grace, that is unmerited favor. He's the source of peace, which is not just like, I'm at peace. It's, he's the source of shalom. He's the source of not just peacefulness, but wholeness. And he is the one who blesses us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. That's who he is. He has blessed us. And he is the one who has chosen us. And because he's chosen us, he chose us because he predestined us. You go, man, predestined to adoption. What does that mean? People get upset. Like I remember when I was in Bible college, people were like, so are you a Calvinist or are you an Arminian? I'm like, uh, I don't know. Like, like what, what? well, one is God chooses and the other is you choose. I'm like, okay. You know, like I don't know enough to be participate in this discussion, right? Um, uh, when you read this passage, it's not about a theological position. It's about God predestining us for adoption. It says predestined twice. And once is he predestined us for adoption. And the other is he predestined us for an inheritance. And this idea of predestination is something that really we shouldn't wrestle with until we're in the faith. And after we're in the faith, it should be a, an enormous amount of comfort and love that we feel as a result. Predestined for adoption is kind of like I guess we'll use my son Carl as an example. So our fourth son is adopted. Most of you guys know that. Um, we chose to adopt Carl. Um, we didn't know his parents. We had never met them. We didn't know what they looked like. We didn't know what race they were. We didn't know um, if they were drug addicts, if they were, we didn't know anything about them, right? We just knew that here's a woman who she was pregnant and didn't want to keep her baby and she, it was, you can adopt the baby or we're going to abort, right? The, the, and we're like, we're going to adopt, all right? Um, uh, I remember our neighbors calling us and going, oh, hey, um, I know you said you're going to take the baby, but like she's used drugs and like you might have a, an issue there or, or um, she hasn't gotten any prenatal care because she was planning on aborting. Like, it doesn't matter, right? And then she calls us back like an hour later. Oh, do you... Do, is it okay if he's white? We're like, why would it not be okay? We're not like Brad and Angelina collecting babies, right? We're, 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 we're like, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what he looks like. It doesn't matter if he's handicapped. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. We'll, like, we'll, we'll take him, right? And, and we chose him not because he did something to earn it, right? We chose him not because like there was something that we just couldn't like stop thinking about him. There was something special. There was something attractive. There we had never met him. There was nothing. All we had was, we're choosing him. 
And, and he was predestined to be our son. And we chose him before he was born. And we showed up the day before he was born. And we met his biological family. And we went in at five o'clock in the morning. And when he was born, they handed him to Tanya. And, and he became our son. And not by anything he did. Only because what we... Now, does he choose to call me daddy now? Yeah. But why? Because we chose him before he ever chose us. When it says that he has predestined us to be adopted as sons, that's what it, it it's, it's even, it's even, I don't know, more distinct than that. Um, we're just earthly people fumbling around. God, in his perfect knowledge, knew not just that, that we would need to be adopted, but he knew how deformed we would be by sin, how malformed we would, how, how rebellious we would be as kids, as uh, how we would work against him and reject him, and we would kill his other son, right? He knew all that, and he still chose us. So he's predestined us to be adopted, and that's what it means when we say we're part of it. We are adopted into this family of this one who has chosen to pour his love out on us, and, and he has a, a, a predestined us to be adopted to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. It's just because he wanted to. It's just because he chose to, to the praise of his glorious grace, right? I mean, we, we come together and we worship because we are worshiping the one who has said, you were isolated and I've made you family. You were broken and I've made you whole. You were, were under a severe penalty and I've paid the penalty. To the praise of his glorious grace, which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him... We have redemption and forgiveness of our trespasses, right? We have redemption, that is, a, the, there's, there's a price that's been paid to ransom us. And we have remittance of sin is probably a better translation, which is that the, the payment has been remitted and, and we are off the hook. We, we don't have, to, we don't have to, to pay that payment according to the riches of his grace, which he has lavished on us in all spiritual wisdom, making known the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. So, so these are the things, he's, he's a source of grace and peace. He's the one who blesses. He's the one that chooses. He's the one who predestines. In him, we have an inheritance, right? He's, he gives us a, an inheritance as heirs. And he says, we've been predestined to that, that he chose beforehand that we would be heirs. The idea of, of, of an inheritance is, um, and the reason that a lot of times people adopted in biblical times was not, um, we want some sort of personal fulfillment of raising a child. They would get to the end of their life and go, we don't have any kids or our kids died and we need somebody to take our stuff when we die. And so they would choose an heir. And when they choose that heir, sometimes it was an adult and they would choose that heir and they would say, you're going to become my son. And this legal transaction would happen and they would say, now you're my son and all my stuff is yours. But when that thing happened, the, the family they had before lost all rights to that person. So he had no responsibility. He had no benefit of being in the other family. He, he, his, his family ties were severed here and they were put here. And, then, and that's how it went forward. And, and our predestination as, as heirs is that, that the family we were part of that was so broken and messed up is no longer part of the equation. And the family of God is where we are. And, and it says that um, uh, we were sealed 
with the promise of the Holy Spirit down in, in 13. Um, and the idea of a seal, like a lot of times we think about seal on paper and we go, okay, wax and a ring, you know, like, and this is a, a sign of authority. But seals more often than not were used to, to say, hey, this is mine, I own it. Like I've got a stamp that I stamp all of my books and it embosses like from the library of Tim Wagner, right? And, um, and that way, when I hand books out, literally uh, two weeks ago, I got a phone call from a guy. He goes, hey, are you still in Southern California? And I go, yeah. He goes, I got your book. And I was like, dude, I haven't seen you since 2009. You know, like, and he goes, yeah, I feel really bad. Every time I open it up, I see that stamp. And I'm like, and I'm like all right. So we met up at a coffee shop and he handed me his book. And so uh, by then I'd actually replaced the book. So I was like, all right, well, now I have one to give away with a stamp in it that'll make somebody feel guilty, right? No. Um, <laughs> so, uh, um, uh, but it was, it was basically to show ownership. So you would stamp possessions that were important to you. And those possessions could be, you know, like a book, or it could be livestock, and you would stamp a brand on them. Or even slaves, bond servants, you would stamp a brand on them to say, this one's mine. Like some, some places that they just did a simple, you know, like you went over to the doorpost, you put your ear out, and they put a nail through it to say, all right, look, you belong to this house. Like, talk about an ear-piercing party there, right? Um, that sounds terrible. But in some place, they would actually put a brand on them. And, and he says, you have been branded. You have been sealed. You have been shown that you are God's by the, by the promised Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was given as a down payment. The Holy Spirit was given as, as the promise of a future transaction that's going to happen. It's kind of like um, uh, Friday night I went to a concert and I didn't buy the tickets. Somebody else bought the tickets and their friend wasn't able to go. So I got in, right? And they go, hey, we got the tickets for you. Um, it's at will call. Tickets are paid for. They're sitting at will call. They're not in my possession, but they're mine, right? My name's on them. And what he's saying is, there's this future transaction coming when you are going to get your inheritance. You are going to receive all the things that you should receive and you're going to get it and it's promised and it's sealed. It's, it's as good as done. It just hasn't happened yet. And so, so all of these things are who the father is, who the father is and what he does. But for us, we, we look at it as children and we go, what does this mean for us? Well, it means that we're recipients of grace. We are blessed. We are chosen. We are predestined. We are redeemed. We are heirs. We are sealed. That's, that's the indicative. That's who we are. And so you go, okay, that's the indicative. So if, if this is the indicative, God, we are part of God's family. How is it that God is forming us for his family? And we have to jump over to Ephesians chapter five. In Ephesians chapter five, it begins to talk about how we are formed for God's family and what this looks like in practice. And it says in, in chapter five, verse 21, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So this is the big header. Everything after this is bullet points. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is how you submit. And it gives a bunch of examples. And they're all submission examples. They're all yielding examples. Um, those of you who um, uh, have been married as long as Tanya and I have, um, there's a chance that in your wedding, they, they stood up and they read this passage. And then they said, do you, Tim, take Tanya to love, honor, and cherish? No problem. And then they say, and do you, Tanya, take Tim to love, honor, and obey? I remember the look on Tanya's face like, I've been snookered. 
right? Like, who put this in there? Um, and she blames me, but it was that I just had a very traditional pastor doing the, doing the wedding. That misunderstanding comes from this passage. It's, it's not obedience, it's yielding, right? Yield to each other, submit to each other out of reverence for Christ. And then it says, wives, how do you do this? How do you yield to your husbands? The husband's the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. He is the body, uh, um, the head of the church, his body, and himself a savior. Now, as the church yields to Christ, so you should yield to your husband. Like, oh, wow, okay. So wives, yield to your husbands. Like Jesus is yielding himself for the church. Husbands, you're to yield to your wives through your love as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. It always sounded more onerous on, on the women, like, oh yeah, you're supposed to submit men you love. Like, no, it's in all of these, the, the implied thing is yield, 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 yield. Everybody's yielding. Husbands, yield by loving your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water and the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands, love your wives as your own body. He who loves his wife loves himself. No one's ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does for the church because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man will leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two will become one flesh. This mystery is profound and I'm saying it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. You know, this, the guy's call is actually way more onerous. It is Yield to your wife by loving her sacrificially. Like Jesus, who, who laid down his life and died. Leave your father and mother for her. Give up everything for her. Yield, yield. And then he goes on, he goes, and children, yield. Yield to your parents. Obey them in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you. And fathers, yield to your children. Yield to them by not provoking them to anger that brings up, uh, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And then he takes the, the, the extreme employment situation and goes, like, what's the most extreme employment situation? Bond servants. Yield to your earthly masters and obey them with fear and trembling as you would Christ. Treat your, your master, your employer, like Jesus and, and do this willingly. Do it um, uh, from the heart, rendering service with goodwill as the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or free. So bondservants yield. And masters, do the same thing. Yield. Yield and stop your threatening. Yield, knowing that you, like who is both their master and yours is in heaven. You are a bondservant too. So treat them like you treat yourself because you're a bondservant. You're just a bondservant of Christ and they are a bondservant of yours and they shouldn't be treated badly. You should yield to that to them. In all of these things, you see what I would call redeeming relationships. Redeeming relationships are re relationships of yielding to each other of mutual submission, of, of saying, I'm going to lay down my life and sacrifice for you. And so if we go, God is our father and we are family, how is it that God is forming us for his family? He's forming us for his family through these redemptive relationships. And these redemptive relationships are built on yielding to each other. 
So, all right, what does that look like? Like, what, how, how do we live this out? Um, in 2009, um, we had started a church in Los Angeles. There was a, a woman who uh, came to our church. Uh, she played drums for us and was awesome. Um, and, uh, and she uh, was about six or seven months pregnant. Um, and the doctor said, hey, we have some concerns. And then by the eighth month, they said, uh, hey, it doesn't look good. And um, she delivered early and her baby only lived about six hours. And, um, and so her mom and her brothers and sisters were all from New York. And so they all flew out to be there for the funeral. And they showed up and, and um, several of us were there at her apartment and we had um, made kind of a, a, a birth announcement slash death announcement um, that we had helped her send out to her friends to say, hey, there's this funeral that's you know happening. Um, her mom arrived and I remember she opened up the fridge and it was packed. It was just full of um, casserole dishes and whatever. And she's like, where did all this food come from? And they were like, oh, that's from, uh, uh, that's from that church that helped Denise move. And, and she was like, wait, what? A church helped Denise move? Like, I've never heard of a church like that. What, what is this church that brings food and helps people move? And she's like, you know, I, I read a little bit of the Bible in college, like the, 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 I did a literature of the Bible course, and there was this description in, in the early church of these people that like they sold their stuff and gave it to each other and whatever. She's like, but I didn't think any of that stuff actually still happened. Like, this is the way it should be. And I was like, can you come preach on Sunday? You just tell everybody that. This is the way it should be. And, and it is the way it should be. This week, um, Rich Martinez called. And, and um, he was like trying to figure out what in the world am I going to do? Um, uh, Jeremy and Jessica were already taking care of his dog, but his, his child care for Nadia might have fallen through. And he was like having to get on an airplane for a business trip. And Kirby and Christina and Michelle, wherever you are, and, and Tanya were all like, don't worry, we got you covered. We'll watch Nadia. You go on your business trip. And I remember, like, he was on the phone and he was all choked up and he's like, so this is what it's like to have a family, the family of God. I was like, this is what it's like, man. We'll take care of you. We got you. This is, so as, as we live as family, that's the way it should be. We, we should be living with each other, watching out for each other, caring for each other. It's, it's kind of like last year, my dad took a bad fall. He climbed up seven, like a 20 foot ladder. He was 17 feet up. Um, he was trying to move. He, he had, across the top of his, his tractor shed, um, he didn't put boards down. Uh, there had been all these doors that he took out of the house when they remodeled, and they were all like those, like, I don't know, hollow doors or whatever, and he just put them there and then put stuff on top of it. So this thing's covered in these doors. None of them are nailed down, whatever. He tries to move one, and the door slides and falls on him, which takes him off the ladder, and he falls and cracks his hip, right? Um, so what do I do? Like, I get on an airplane and I go like, mom, what, what, what do I need to do to get you guys ready for winter? Because dad's not doing anything for the next several weeks, right? This week, um, or this year, um, uh, my dad uh, took a picture of my mom's handicap ramp, which had completely collapsed. And it, like, it had just fallen in, the, the screws had just rusted off and the thing fell down. Um, so what I do? I got on an airplane, right? And I spent a week and I, I sacrificed my vacation. I sacrificed time with my kids. What? But that's what families do, right? My, my parents are on a fixed income. They don't have a whole lot of resources. So when my dad's lawn tractor died, my little brother was like, here, dad, I'm buying you a lawn tractor. You go, wow, that's amazing. You're like, yeah, but that's just what families do, right? 
They changed our diapers. They paid for all of our school bills. And now they're old and they need us. And so what do we do? We, it, we go and we take care of them. That's, that's the way families operate. That's the way they should operate, right? When we talk about the family of God, we talk about people who, like, we need to care for each other. And we need to be in life with each other. And we need to be sharing meals with each other. And we need to be playing with each other. And we need to like be supporting each other and praying for each other and praying with each other. And we need to be together. We can't do that in one morning a week, right? Like we can't, church should never be an event. This is just the expression of who we are all week long. When you, when you read Acts chapter five and it talks about them sharing everything they have with one another, it's like people looked at them and it was like this, I mean, Jesus said it, by this all men will know that you are my disciples by the way you love each other. And it's not the way like you give a big hug on Sunday. It's the way you love each other all week as you're with each other, as you're, as you're together. When, when you read the one another's in scripture, right? The one another's in scripture are a great way to figure out what it looks like for you to be part of the family of God. A church family where we live this out sounds like this. We love one another. We care for one another. We serve one another. We admonish one another. We show forbearance to and forgive one another. We keep fervent in our love for one another. We are hospitable towards one another. We employ our gifts to serve one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. We greet one another. We're the same mind to one another. We are kind to one another. We speak to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. We build up, comfort, encourage, pray for, live at peace with, and seek that which is good for one another. It's where we clothe ourselves in humility towards another, where we live in subjection to one another, where we stimulate one another to love and good deeds, where we confess our sins one to another. We live at peace with one another. We give preference to one another in honor, where we encourage one another day by day, lest any of us be hardened by the deceitful of sin. We love one another just as he has commanded us. And you read that list and you go, man, would you like to be part of that church? Yeah, I'd like to be part of that church. That's not a church. That's the church. We're all supposed to be this. This is what it looks like. We should be living life together. We should be sharing meals. We should be sharing time. We should be playing. We should involve each other in hard decisions, right? Little things. You go like, all right, what does that look like? It looks like being with each other. And the very first thing, if you're going to be family with each other and you're going to live in sacrificial redemptive relationships, the very first thing you're going to have to sacrifice is your time, right? We live, in, people are like, I'm so busy, can I just give money, right? <laughs> okay, yeah, but we also need to, you know, we, we, we need to be with each other. Imagine me as a dad, and I never spend time with my kids. I never play with them, I never eat with them, I never pray for them or pray with them. I, I just go, hey man, I'm, 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 I'm taking care of the bills, that should be enough. You go, you're a terrible dad and you should not be a pastor, right? If we live like that, then, then we're saying, I, I, I want the benefits of the family, but I just want to be able to send my money. I don't want to have to show up, right? That is not what God has called us to. God has called us to be formed as his family. And we are formed as his family through redemptive relationships where we sacrifice for each other. So over the next number of weeks, we're going to be talking about our identity. And we're going to see that we are uh, a family of, 
of um, missionary servants who worship God and learn to walk in his ways. And that's going to be the thing we define ourselves by. And, and we're going to call you to do different things in that. And some of it is we're going to ask you to start spending time with each other outside of church in a very intentional way to get you in groups and things like that. But before we start setting up those groups, we want to talk about some of those other identities because that shapes what happens in those groups, right? If we're a family of missionary servants, what does it mean for us to be missionaries together? What does it mean for us to be servants together? What does it mean for us to be worshipers together? What does it mean for us to learn together? And so we're going to talk about that over the next number of weeks, but, but we, want, we want our church to grow to be the family of God that God has, has, he's created this amazing vision for us. And he said, I'm your father and you're my children. And now live in love with each other and sacrifice for each other. And that is what we want to be. We don't want to just be an event. We don't want to just be a gathering. We just don't want to just show up and sing. We want to be the family of God. So we're going to talk about that over the next.